The strong wind was howling and whistling. He was the first Chinese citizen to graduate from Yale University in the mid-19th century. I was born on the 17th of November. She had prominent features. Three of us were old enough to lend a helping hand. He navigated between two vastly different cultures and moved further to realize his dream and promote understanding between the people of China and the United States. Ye Mingxing was a native of Hanyang. I realized no danger. China is really awakening. Come and join us in discovering the incredible journey of Yong Wang in his autobiography, My Life in China and America. Check out the audible stories on radio.cgtn.com and all major podcast platforms. Just search for the podcast Books and Beyond and find My Life in China and America. Discussion keeps the world turning. This is Roundtable. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Roundtable, coming to you live from Beijing. I'm He Yang. Good to have you with us. A 2023 white paper found that more than 60% of Chinese respondents have sleeping issues. On World Sleep Day, I like to gently pose the question: How are you sleeping these days? And agriculture is the world's largest industry. It is also the leading source of pollution in many countries. We explore ways to better manage practices for agriculture, especially through growing rice, as it reduces. Carbon emissions. Keep sending us your thoughts, comments, constructive advice, or questions that's been boggling your mind to ezfmroundtable at foxmail.com. Your voice could be featured on the show in our roundtables heart to heart segment. For today's show, I'm joined by Huang Shen and Ding Hong in the studio. First on today's roundtable, recently published research on Chinese people's sleep has shown that the average sleep time of respondents was 7.4 hours per night in 2022. That sounds pretty good, considering similar surveys from previous years. Improving people's sleep quality has also become big business. Gadgets, devices, and services are developed to cater towards sleep-deprived people. So. Let's take a look at the various reports that's been published recently about how we are sleeping these days.、Uh, the Chinese Sleep Research Society has recently released a report, and this is based on a survey of six thousand. 168 people aged 18 to 70 from July to November in 2022, and the report shows that in 2022, Chinese adults slept about 7.4 hours per night on average,、uh, with around 47 percent of respondents slept less than eight hours per night, and 16.7 percent of respondents sleep for less than seven hours per night in average. However, the report also found that 90% of the respondents said their sleep quality is okay or very good, with only 10% saying that their sleep quality was not good or very bad. Yeah, so I guess、um, yeah, this is one report, but、uh, I have seen some of the earlier or other similar reports, which seems to have. Pointed a or painted a different picture because、um, other reports ha- have also revealed that that this is、uh, also according to a China Daily report. 
uh, the 2023 China Health Sleep White Paper was mm-hmm. uh, released uh, basically last month. And um, basically, the average sleep quality of those surveyed have decreased significantly, and uh, 60.4% of them have had issues with their sleep since November 2022. And their Pittsburgh Sleep Quality Index, which is an indicator of sleep quality, fell from 5.6 to 7.2, signaling a transition from normal to quote-unquote sleep disorder. So I, I guess it's very difficult to generalize the the, 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 the overall pattern here. Um, maybe it's because the, the, the samples collected are, are different, right? So. Yeah, and also the <laughs> years are different too. Yeah. And also I always question, how do they know your sleep quality, even sleep time? Like nobody ourselves know for sure unless you're wearing one of those ver- wearable devices or something like that. Or, oh, actually, if you go to the hospital and there is a, these various sleep clinics um, in hospitals and there it's like a specific thing mm-hmm. a department or whatnot and um, and they you can wear this device that tracks your sleep um, 24 hours around the clock kind of thing so I, I always have this question mark in my mind when we look at these reports but um, I think they offer some kind of indication although sometimes conflicting ones of um, the sleeping matter and uh, here's one uh, conclusion that one of these uh, reports has pointed out that is more sleep we see among people but greater gap among people like what do you see as do you agree with that um, conclusion not really I think this is a very personal issue and for the conduction of such surveys I would say maybe each institute is using a different methodology by doing the sampling of different respondents. I don't know how they did the survey. However, maybe they would like to uh, ask respondents to fill in the questionnaire or answer several questions related to your the length of your sleep or like the quality of your sleep. So I think there are several surveys or reports trying to point it at the angle that maybe your education backgrounds or your income level or sometimes um, your stage in life. I mean, uh, are you a student or are you uh, uh, an employee, maybe white collar worker or blue collar worker? So they're trying to figure out how about such things um, has an impact on your quality of sleep. Mm. But I don't think these findings hold water because usually, you know, this is just very biased or sometimes it could be just based on a very selective group of people, which means this is part of your respondents. Uh, But I think if we're trying to differentiate the sleep quality amount grown-ups or students, I read somewhere, this is according to a white paper published in 2022 by the Chinese Sleep Research Society, it seems like the average sleep duration for primary, middle, and high school students was around 7.6, 7.4, and 6.5 hours respectively, which is significantly less than a target of 10 or oh. 9 hours or 8 hours in the Health China 2030 plan. Whoa. Whoa, 10 hours of sleep? That sounds like uh, luxury. A, yes, it really <laughs> does. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, 
Yeah, again, I I don't really think that this、uh, so-called sleep gap we are talking、mm-hmm. about here is is that accurate. But you know,、uh, if it what it what has been painted here represents the accurate picture, that's that's actually pointing to a bigger problem. You, you know, usually my personal experience would tell me that、uh, the harder when you work harder, you tend to sleep less. Right, so basically, this、uh, so-called. You, sorry, but how do you define that? Because I find、uh-huh. you, when you're harder working, then you're so exhausted, you're like、uh, dog tired, and then I usually go just fast and sound asleep like <laughs> a log. Yeah, I guess it's、uh, it's more like it depends on which kind of、um, industry you are working in or what kind of.、Uh, Occupation you are taking, in. like、uh, if you are a white, a blue collar worker, maybe the harder you work, the longer,、uh, the more the, sleep you would want. Yeah, you would want. But for those who work with their brains, those white collar workers, it's sometimes when you really work till very late at night, you find it very difficult to fall asleep. Well, well, there yeah, are jobs that experience might require <laughs> a little bit more of intensive. Cognitive work, and yeah, maybe yeah. that excites the brain a little bit more, and、yeah. um, that could be、um, exhausting. But it kind of excites you, and right before going to bed, if your brain is all woken up, and then that doesn't really work very well towards you know going to slumberland. <laughs> yeah,、mm, yeah. So Huangshan, what do you see as、um, the uh, Hallmarks of、um, people's sleep habits or patterns these days. I think it. I think people's sleep habits vary because for some people they have a very healthy,、uh, you know, sleep habits, and for other people, I think this is another emerging trend that is the revenge bedtime procrastination.、Mm-hmm. So when we are talking about sleep deprivation, maybe. It's like this is something you cannot control. That is beyond your control, which means you may suffer from insomnia or sleeping disorder or other kind of、uh, issues related to a sleepless behavior. However, some people are doing it on a voluntary basis, which means this is the voluntary sleep reduction. I think when we are using the word revenge, it means like it is a concept of bad. Time procrastination, and this is quite popular on social media. I think even on the show we covered the discussion of、mm. this trend for so many times, and、uh, it has emerged from a translation、uh, of expression in Chinese that reflected frustration tied to a very long, hard, exhausted workday. Sometimes maybe you just have very limited amount of personal time. Due to many reasons, maybe your work schedule、mm-hmm. or your family chores、yeah. or other things that have been bothering you during the daytime, then at night you would like to secure a short amount of time for yourself. You can do whatever you want.、Um, as a result, you make well. This is, can be seen as a way of getting revenge on daytime hours with little or no free time, and then you are trying to make full use of your nighttime. As a result, you are just like staying up late trying to do things that you like.、Um, this could be you are reading your favorite book or watch your favorite video or just like, you know, 
do whatever you want, even、mm. just like by doing meditation. It could be part of your way to celebrate a very nice and quiet. Um, night, but for some people, they may be addicted to short videos, and so、mm-hmm. that's another reason why people don't really sleep that early. Right, and that、um, really speaks loud and true to a lot of people because Huangshan makes it sound really nice, you know, like me time right before going to bed, and don't you cherish that? But in reality, a lot of the times, instead of us doing something that is truly conducive to the mind and well-being of ourselves, we just reach our reach for our phone or、mm. our iPads or whatnot and get more screen time. And hello, everybody, that wakes your brain up. That doesn't usually drive you to sleep, so. In a way, that is not a very good habit if you're looking to sleep earlier or have maybe higher quality of sleep, so to speak. And then Huangshan, just now you mentioned the word revenge, and when that's associated to sleep, I don't know if you guys feel this, but during Monday and Friday, for most of us when we're hardworking,、um, and also I want that me time too, and. You just end up having limited amount of sleep, and on the weekends, that's revenge time to sleep for some of us. And we're like, all right, we can get up late in the morning and can just sort of get all comfortable in bed and all that.、Um, but actually,、um, when you look at some of these studies, revenge sleep on the weekend. Isn't really helping you that much, and some of the young people who are doing that, because apparently, if when you get older, you don't need that much sleep. But anyway,、um, so younger people say that actually you feel more tired after the so-called revenge sleep over the weekend. So maybe having more of a A regular、mm. routine or、Balanced. schedule to go to bed to fall asleep might be better because our body has its own circadian rhythm. But thanks to you know the invention of the light, to、uh, electricity, and so much going on in our lives, and then we have sort of. Defied the natural circadian rhythm that our ancestors used to abide to, and with more choices, and actually, yeah, it may it might、uh, affect our sleep as well. So I just want to check with you guys, though.、Um, you know, they're they're with these reports and studies. They want they tend to、um, make this. Correlation、mm-hmm. between sleep and educational background and your income level, career, and、uh, various factors. Do you? Well, I, I think Huang Shen made her、um, stance very clear. But do you think that there are some of these factors that affect how well we sleep? Yeah, I guess regarding, for example, for example,、uh, education background or your education level,、uh, this idea that people was. A、uh, less education level、uh, was lower education level has less sleep and a lower sleep quality. Um, yeah, I would uh take this with a grain of salt on my mind. But、um, if this is a uh this is this represents a true statement here. Um, I my personal expl explanation is that probably you know for every for everybody, be it. 
uh, low people with low education level or people who with high education level. Everybody have their own source of. Unhappiness、stress. and stress,、yeah. anxiety. That's that's the case for everybody, regardless of their education level. But maybe people with better education level knows better regarding how to comfort themselves or to prevent the these daily anxiety <laughs> from. Uh, or they just yeah, their, or they just worry quality, a lot、right? about everything. They know how to <laughs> relax. Maybe maybe that's my explanation. But、yeah. but really, I but still. Overall, I would take these、uh, so-called conclusion with a grain of salt, with some skepticism.、Mm-hmm. But、um, yeah, so so. What, what about also like regular exercise, career, and、uh, so, and and the decision of how much sleep you want to sort of acquire for yourself? Do you see these as as possible factors that? Influence how we sleep, or actually, I I find it to be a little bit strange to say that, pe- well, people actually plan the hours that they sleep. I I wonder how many people do that. I I know there are plenty of publications out there in. Previous years that trumpet the idea. Oh, the CEO、uh, only sleeps four hours a day, <laughs> and look at how productive this person is.、Yeah. But then, in recent years, we've seen a whole wave of publication going exactly against that、uh, mantra, saying that hey, sleep. Um, more hours is actually really good for you. So anyhow, it's a lot to to think about. And Huangshan, what do you think? What is your take on this? I think you should consider your personal physical condition because I know sometimes it's genetic. Some people they just happen to have less sleep hours, and that is fine for them. So I think if you are a person who requires longer hours of sleep, maybe you should follow a very rigid routine that will definitely benefit the quality of your sleep. But for some people, if you have a different schedule, it's very <laughs> that's a very easy thing to enter. Because some people are night owls and some are early birds, so you should arrange your plans according to the rhythm of your body. Sometimes I think it's very important to respect our body clock, and in this way we will form a very great and healthy sleep habit. And、um, but I do agree with one finding from great. Finally, there is one. <laughs> yeah, from from the find the the finding from the survey、yeah. that is like. We have more distractions nowadays because、oh. you know we are living in an internet era, and you have been surrounded by games, internet, and short videos, and these have occupied more nighttime for us. And sometimes these things are very, very addictive. You have to meet it because, thanks to algorithm, how can we, you know, resist that temptation? <sighs> so、mm. this is from the form a former survey said that. Nearly seventy percent of people who suffer from insomnia choose to play with their mobile phones, and more than half put down their phones after two a.m. However, nearly ten percent still stay up until three to four a.m. And then this is, and then according to a 2022 report released by the Mob Research Institute, the group of people who are still using mobile devices from zero to four a.m., which is midnight to four a.m. every day, reaches over four hundred million. A month.、Mm. So while、well, we have been informed that、uh, all all these digital devices will generate blue lights, and that is one of the cause why you couldn't fall asleep, then the 
when you you can when you cannot fall asleep, then you turn to such remedies, which are your mobile or digital devices, gadgets. Then I don't know how could you sleep. Yeah, um, I truly um, concur with what Huangshan just said there, because. Well, if I just throw a little bit more of personal experience on this, because yes, like I've been having these eye issues, which, which is a pain, and that means that、uh, well, my doctor said that you have to severely cut your screen time,、uh-huh. the amount of time that you look at your、uh, computer screen or smartphone screen, that kind of thing. And instead, I've decided to just listen to podcasts and just use my ears better, that kind of thing. And right before going to bed, it really makes a difference if you don't look at a screen. Instead, I listen to Roundtable or maybe、yeah. not every. Episode, but you know, with the sleep episode, I promise you, today Huyang will not laugh too loud, and I will not wake you up. And、um, hopefully, you know, we send you off to to slumberland nicely.、Um, and, and also, Ding Hong, I wonder if you've、um, realized this phenomenon of. It's big business to send people off to sleep, and there's a whole bunch of apparently high tech that goes into this, and like inventions of individual gadgets and devices that are supposed to help you to go to bed.、Um, do、yeah. you think it's more gimmick or actually it helps? Um. Now let let me first first of all let me provide some comments regarding this、uh, podcast kind of thing. Oh yes. You know, okay. Yeah. To me personally, podcast is actually a great、uh, plus to drive me to fall asleep. <laughs> is、yeah. that a good thing or a bad thing? Considering、uh, we produce podcasts. It's it's a good thing, right? <laughs> it's a good thing. Yeah. People fall asleep listening. Maybe to our show. that's that's highly related to my own profession. Maybe you <laughs> you're、know. not making it any better for you, friend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But usually, when I when I'm trying to fall asleep, I'm、yeah. not listening to my own show. That's for sure. <laughs> I'm listening to other radio shows. Okay.、Uh, anyway, but、uh, yeah, but but yeah. So when we talk about this、uh, so-called、uh, capitalization or marketization, um, it is. Uh, I would tend to see it as a genuine market rather than a gimmick, you know, because really the general rules is that there is a demand. When there is a demand, there is a market, and the increasing number of people within so many、um, naturally will lead to this kind of birth of the so-called sleep aid products. And really, I think、uh, if we can、uh, provide some data here, basically the market size of China's sleep, so-called sleep industry, let's put it in this way, has exceeded 400 billion yuan, and is is expected to exceed 1 trillion yuan over the course of this year. Whoa! So. Yeah, so I think they, to some degree, they do provide some aid and assistance to your sleep quality,、mm-hmm. but、uh, it's 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 not it's not a fixed pattern for everybody. Right. Like,、um, like some so-called pills or, you know,、um, it's a so-called melatonin. They、Ooh. might be good for some people, but I think some health experts are still have some conservation on this particular category. Of, Category of health products, right? Yeah, medication、mm. is um, serious. Yeah,、um, it is not sh- even a medical product. It is considered as a health supplement. Well, follow、right? doctor's orders. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay,、uh, Huangshan, what is your take on this? 
Yeah, I think recent years we have seen surging demands for such sleep aid gadgets or products. I think we have been mentioning these products, and maybe sometimes a smart mattress. This is also、uh, some、uh, manufacturers are trying to、uh, promote their products because、uh, they say it will offer you、uh, the perfect condition for sleeping. And sometimes they are also recommending the memory cotton pillows. But it's up to you whether you will you would like to purchase such products. And it also gives an opportunity for those content creators because I think in recent years the ASMR is another big thing. I personally, I really love the sound of waves splashing against the shore. That is really soothing to me. So I know some content creators are trying to figure out what people would like to hear that will give them the pleasurable and relaxing tingling feeling、uh, that will. Bring you that relaxation. So many people are trying to make video clips or vid or audio clips in this regard, and trying to bring、uh, people that ASMR,、um, you know, experience because you would like to put yourself in the zone. That is、uh, good for a very amazing, you know, sleeping time. So while、well, people are very creative nowadays, and to have a good night's sleep. Yeah. Well, certainly there are. All these products marketed towards、um, people who struggle to find some shut eye, and I don't really want to list all of them, but apparently there are beverages and foods, and I, I just don't really buy that idea, you know,、mm, unless they even beddings. Yeah, bed beddings. You you mean like linens? Uh huh. Yeah,、uh. that 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 is in a way I can understand because it makes <laughs> you really comfortable and just、okay. make your bedroom. A place of comfort and relaxation, and get yourself into that zen state of mind. And the way I speak might put you to sleep, but I would like you to wake up for the second half of the show. Don't go away for sure. And we will discuss large-scale industrial agricultural pollution right after this break. Don't go away. Discussion keeps the world turning. This is Roundtable. You're listening to Roundtable with myself, Hua Yang. I'm joined by Huang Shen and Ding Heng in the studio. Coming up. Farming is a big part of food security, but it's also producing a whole lot of agriculture pollution. We take a look at ways to resolve this paradox. In China, new fa-、uh, rice farming techniques that use less water, produce more yields, and emit less methane. Are picking up steam, and staying on the rice topic, rice and wheat, both are staple foods for Chinese people. We attempt to answer the question: Which is fattier? Our podcast listeners can find us at Roundtable China on Apple Podcast. If you have not subscribed to this pod or listened to this show, it's not too late to do so. Just look up Roundtable China on the platform of your choice. Keep sending us your voice questions and comments to ezfmroundtable at foxmail.com. Emails are fine, but voice memos are even better, and it'd be great to include your name, the province or region you live in, so we know a little bit more about you. Now on Roundtable, as we continue today's discussion, industrial agriculture is one of the biggest culprits to pollution. Agricultural pollution is generally divided into two categories. Pollution that comes from raising animals and pollution from growing crops, including animal feed, 
、uh, human food and biofuel crops. For this discussion, we focus on the pollution from growing grain in China. New farming methods have been applied to lower carbon emissions, in particular methane, while improving crop yields. Methane is the second largest greenhouse gas responsible for climate change after carbon dioxide. Methane also accounts for about 20 percent of global emissions. So, well, this is a little bit technical, but with research, I want to. Uh, ask you guys this question: How important is methane mitigation at this moment for the world?、Uh, according to the International Energy Agency, methane accounts for thirty percent of the global rise in temp in temperature.、Uh, experts explain that methane is short-lived in the atmosphere compared to carbon dioxide. However, over eighty times more potent when it comes to global warming. That's the reason why. We need to take it seriously, and urgent steps must be taken to reduce methane emissions. And leading climate industry experts estimated that cutting methane emissions by fifty percent in the next three decades could reduce global temperature change by zero point two degrees Celsius by twenty fifty. And as China Data reported, experts pointed out that at a COP27 event in November 2022, methane reduction is a more cost-effective way to reduce greenhouse gas emissions, and urgent joint global efforts are needed. Yeah. So, what do you say,、uh, Ding Hong? Ah,、uh, yeah. This is a. I, I think this the, the, there is a scientific and data-based、uh, consensus here, right? So. Definitely, as a layman like us, we would only support that more efforts needs to be done because、um, really methane is a key ingredient in the formation of the ground level smog, which、mm. is a powerful climate forcer and really a dangerous air pollutant. And according to the UNEP, namely the United Nations Environment Programme, a 45% reduction in methane would would prevent some 260,000 premature deaths, 775,000 asthma-related、uh, visits to hospitals, 73 billion hours of lost labor from extreme heat, and 25 million tons of crop losses annually. So. Really,、mm-hmm. more things needs to be done here. Yes, and China has、uh, some latest efforts that goes to reducing methane emission in farming. So, also let me just provide one caveat: that is, farming is only one part of it. There's also、um, coal mining, stationary and mobile combustion, wastewater treatment, and a whole bunch of other industrial processes that also has something to do with、um, methane and carbon emissions. But here, what I find to be very interesting is that well, every country has their own situation, and、uh, China, considering that we are a nation with、um, nationals who. Uh, rely on rice、uh, for almost every meal, and I think it's very responsible and suiting to look at our own situation and see, oh, rice farming is actually producing methane, and therefore let's talk about ways to、uh, reduce. Uh, reduce the emissions in that sense. So, what about the latest efforts that we know on this subject? 
Well, I think over the years, and China has、uh, launched pilot projects to cut、uh, methane emissions.、Uh, for instance, rice paddies, because we are talking about that、uh, in eastern China, have reduced water usage by thirty to fifty percent to cut methane emissions.、Uh, this is according to Lu Xuedu, who is the former lead climate change specialist of the Asian Development Bank. And I think re. In recent years, we have to admit that、uh, when you are trying to reduce that、uh, methane emissions from agricultural production, this remains very challenging because、um, you have to figure out what is the primary source of、uh, methane emissions. And also, it's not only for China, but for all the countries who consume a large amount of rice. Uh, this is according to World Wildlife Fund. It seems like rice is one of the most abundant crops grown and consumed globally, for sure. And it also makes up 12% of global methane emissions、mm. and a staggering 1.5% of total greenhouse gas emissions. So when rice is harvested, a ton of rice stubble and straw is left behind for every ton of harvested rice. Around 750 million tons globally in 2015. This is a figure quoted from. From、uh, the website of WWF. So when we're talking about the、uh, uh, methane emissions, so how how does process generated methane and those like greenhouse gases?、Mm. So one thing is from the rice straw. So how farmers will deal with the rice straw? So they either burn the rice straw.、Um, this could result in. Very significant carbon dioxide emissions. Sometimes it could be methane, carbon, carbon monoxide, nitrogen oxide, sulfur oxide, and particulate matters. This is explained by WWF. Or they will flood the field to encourage swift decay, which also leads to extensive methane emissions.、Mm. So in the situation in China, so not only about、uh, this process, how you. The farmers would like to deal with the rice straw. It's also about、uh, the water, the amount of water you use for irrigation, or how you use the pesticides or fertilizers. All the things in combination has an impact on the methane emission. Yes, indeed, and also we've seen that China is exploring methane emission reduction in crop fields during the COP twenty seven meeting, which was held in November twenty twenty two. China's climate envoy Xie Zhenhua said that China has joined the methane control initiative in Glasgow and. Uh, from three important areas, the government has rolled out. Strategic plans to reduce methane emission、um, that includes energy and gas.、Uh, sorry, energy and natural gas, agriculture and waste handling. So these are some, you know, from the macro strategic level, we see that there are these big plans that、um, hope to address this issue, and we are also seeing that there are some. Interesting、um, new techniques that have been rolled out in that sense. And、um, Ding Hong, do you have some information on that? As we move towards environmental sustainability in the agricultural sector,、um, and these recent rice farming techniques、mm. um, say that they reduce methane emission and also increase yield. That's almost like Too good to be true, but certainly water is the key here. So, what do you say? 
Yeah, so there is one technology called the system of rice intensification. So basically, rice paddies we understand are frequently flooded during their growth, and this can generate methane-emitting bacteria. So this particular、uh, methodology or te- or technology,、uh, which has been actually been around for for decades, it is looking to significantly reduce water use and methane emissions subsequently while boosting the yield. Right. Right. Yeah. So, however, I think、uh, this particular technology is very. Um, it is extremely labor intensive and only used on a, a very limited small scale patties in Africa and Asia. And now I, I guess there are some scientists doing research trying to looking at you know uh, uh, max um, popularizing it、mm-hmm. and、uh, trying to promoting it to re- to to really re- remove the. The the labor intensivity, the, the labor barrier, so、mm-hmm. that it can be used at scale.、Um, yeah, so yeah, but, but that's course, definitely one of it. Yeah. In the meantime, there are other technologies as well. Right. Hoisin,、oh, could you fill us in on the other different technologies applied? I think the other example that has caught my attention is the intelligent irrigating,、mm. and this is the paddy,、um, the rice paddy located in the water town of Shitang in. In Zhejiang Province, and according to statistics released by China National Rice Research Institute, this first low-carbon rice paddy in the Yangtze River Delta region can achieve a 20% reduction in carbon emissions compared to traditional rice planting without reducing its yield. And、uh, apparently, this project is under the collaboration with a tech giant in the country that is Alibaba's cloud computing tech. And by utilizing the Internet of Things, these are the tech support for the、um, implementation of such a low-carbon patty in terms of the daily operation. And with the help of technology,、uh, it can connect monitoring instruments with irrigation equipment and automated machinery,、mm. allowing more efficient targeted management. So this is a great example of how you can、uh, nail the power of technology to achieve the goal of reducing carbon emissions during rice planting. Because、right. we would like to reduce methane gas emissions, and we want to save. Energy and trying to make it more cost-effective, and trying to avoid the harm brought by the usage of chemicals such as fertilizers and pesticides. So, with smart agricultural methods in place, I think in the long run, this will gradually help you to achieve higher yields while without sacrificing、uh, the health of. You know the environment, right? And there's one more I like to share with you because I'm learning stuff on the show for sure. This is called furrow flooding, and the Chinese could be. Go Gwen. So basically, this is adding on top of what、uh, Ding Hong just shared with us. The、uh, SIR methodology doesn't work for every each、uh, patch of land in China, and also maybe for some of these places,、um, having the water level sensors or whatnot and、uh, valves. These high tech technology that.、Uh, Huang Shen has mentioned for us might not be the most ideal either. And then, what do people do? Well, the furrow flooding technology—it、um, is 
ex- it has been experimented by a particular uh, institute of uh, soil science at the Chinese Academy of Sciences, and basically they say that um, as the different farmer paddy fields are all connected. One farmer adding or removing water affects others and making um, this whole process more complex. To accommodate different practices, the research team has opted for another approach called the furrow uh, flooding, and this、mm. involves piling up soil into wedges and planting crops on top of them. And the furrows between the wedges are then flooded. The、uh, Institute of Soil Science that I just mentioned found reductions of sixty to eighty percent in methane emissions and managing. Water levels is supposed is supposedly to be easier as water can be left in the furrows year round, and this saves the farmers a lot of the labor. So ingenious. That's all、yeah. I can say. Yeah. So I guess、uh, a key idea here when we talk about popularization of these、uh, particular technologies. Yes, the key idea is really regarding this economy of scale. But、uh, in this regard, I think、um, uh, me and、uh, some other people have some concerns because、uh, really the reality is fewer and fewer people are willing to stay home and grow rice nowadays because of you know rapid economic growth, urbanization process, and that's created many urban jobs, service-oriented jobs, attracting. Hundreds of millions of people from the rural communities to the urban areas. So I guess this is particularly true in the densely populated、uh, southern China,、mm-hmm. where the remaining farmers tend to work only small patches of land, which will make it very, very difficult to achieve this so-called economies of scale. So I think. That's that's one thing we need to consider: how to encourage more people to go back to the countryside, to go back to the farming industry. Maybe that's something policymakers need to consider. Yeah, that's a really good point. But I don't think just driving people back to farmland is the way to go. Because when you look at how farm and agriculture develops around the world, there's there are some of these shared.、Um, Hallmarks, one being that you don't need that many people on the land, and also usually developed countries would go for industrialized or industrial agriculture, and、mm. then you have these big farms with high-tech machinery, and、um, this is essential to bringing up yield and having very little number of people managing the land. And I know we're not necessarily there yet, but possibly、um, if you know that. Kind of agricultural development developmental model has any implication here? Then it might be what the future holds, or maybe that's the future direction in that sense. But having the personnels that are willing to go into agriculture and willing to study, apply the technology as well as、um, going through this is almost like trailblazing to some extent of.、Um, Finding the land, 
managing the land and doing the farm work, which is not easy at all. If you listen to our show, then we've discussed this um, on, on previous episodes as well. So that, I think, requires a lot of hard work and hopefully somebody who truly has the heart to to or have that connection with agriculture and, and the soil, so to speak. Uh, Hongshan, do you have like a last line to add or we can move on to our last topic of today? Yeah, I think over the years, the country has rolled out a series of uh, measures, uh, preferential policies or uh, supportive policies with regard to the implementation and development of smart agriculture. So I think in order to achieve the ideal results, um, the initial financial investment is very important because if you want to deploy the smart facilities in a farmland, you definitely need money to purchase the technology as well as trying to pay for uh, the service provider as well as the people who are uh, operating such technological devices. And I think in the long run, if this well, sector could be more promising and then more talents will be attracted to this field. And at the end of the day, I think it is great that you can help to generate more uh, produce and trying to feed people in a nicer way because if you can boost the quality of farming, mm. then you can guarantee the yield will be boosted. What's more, the nutrition facts containing each grain will be improved as well. Yes, and that is such an important discussion uh, in the context of China. And I think it's really promising to see that on the national level, there are these policies being rolled out, and on the individual level, well, at least you know, on our show, we're starting here to bring up this awareness. You know, even in farming, even in growing rice. There is this environmental pollution aspect of the discussion. And uh, also, before we move on to the next topic, I just want to highlight one one fact that is carbon emission or this carbon footprint that we're talking about here. It doesn't stop, obviously, at uh, farming grains. There's also a big big part of it that comes from the carbon footprint of meat and a lot of developed countries uh, consume a lot more meat per person than otherwise and currently agriculture accounts for about 11 percent of the u.s emissions for example and of that 36 percent comes from the raising feeding and management of livestock. So um, when we talk about agricultural pollution, you know, these two animals and uh, farming grains, these are like the two big components. And I think it requires everybody to sort of look at our own habits, our ways of living, and maybe even our diet. Um, Whether you want to make a change or not, I would encourage you to do so, but of course, it's up to one's individual choice, but it's important to sort of be up to date with these facts of this global uh, environmental challenge that we are in together. And coming up next, rice and wheat, which is fattier? Stick around and find out more on that. Looking for passion? How about fiery debate? Want to hear about current events in China from different perspectives? Then tune in to Roundtable, where East meets West, and understanding is the goal.
It's the hour of roundtable with myself, He Young. I'm joined by Ding Hung and Huang Shen in the studio. Rice and wheat, which is fattier? The straightforward answer is wheat, but there are a few caveats worth your attention. A recent survey in China shows that the residents who prefer having rice lower the risk of obesity as opposed to those who prefer wheat products. Let's dig into this survey. What? What are the nuggets of truth that you found for us? This survey is conducted by researchers from Xi'an Jiao Tong University.、Um, the researchers collected data from over 100,000 participants aged 35 to 74 who are residents of five northwest China provincial-level regions, namely Shanxi. Gansu, Qinghai, Ningxia, and Xinjiang.、Uh, the researchers divided the participants into three groups according to their weekly rice and wheat intake frequency. So,、uh, China Daily reported that after collecting and analyzing data on respondents' preferences for staple foods, as well as uh, their uh, physical conditions and figures, including their height, weight.、Uh, Waist、uh, circumference and body fat ratio. The researchers found that those who preferred rice had a lower risk of excessive body fat and central obesity compared to those who preferred staple food by wheat. Well, yeah. So it depends on you whether you would like to, you know, believe in the facts I shared by the researchers. But I think it's also about more things about your personal、uh, conditions, such as your metabolism or how much you do your. How frequently you do your exercise? There's so many things may contribute. Whether you have a relatively higher or lower BMI index, right? Well, in Chinese, you know, okay, in English it's rice or wheat. In Chinese, it's 吃米还是吃面 So, <laughs> oh yeah, like yeah. I think it's almost like a knee-jerk reaction of what people, what we usually believe that is the the flour dough kind of food. So. AKA wheat that is usually fattier, and that kind of just confirms what we already know in a way. Do you agree? Um. Uh. Not really. Okay. Not, so what are the reasons then? Oh、uh, no, no. Actually, um, yeah, I would respect the the finding in this particular、mm-hmm. survey because I myself is not a scientist, so I don't have any say in this. But、uh, somehow this topic is pretty related to our previous topic. Yes, and,、uh, <laughs> for good reason, huh? Yeah. So yeah. So I think、uh, one explanation regarding this particular、um, conclusion we are talking about here is that although rice and wheat have a similar starch content, they are two species, and their other components are very different. And after eating, I guess there are also different kind of. Uh, the differences in terms of our body's、mm-hmm. uh, metabolic reactions, and、uh, maybe that's one 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 explanation. And、mm-hmm. also, this is also related to the eating habits because usually, a rice-based dietary pattern often involves more fresh vegetables and meat and fish, right? This kind of thing. It's it's more like a balanced diet, but、uh, this is probably less of a case regarding a wheat or, or flour-based diet. Right, because、um, if you look at the calories of raw rice and raw wheat flour, they're pretty much the same, but it's how we cook them. And usually with rice, if you just you know place it in the rice cooker. 
press the button, wait for an hour or less, and then, you know, with the cooked rice, and then you pair it up with other dishes, that's pretty standard a way of um, consuming the grain for Chinese people. That sounds pretty healthy. But let's also, what about the dishes that you're eating? Because if you're pairing it up with, let's say, fried chicken, I don't think many people would do that, but that's like really fattening, right? So, you know, what's what are the supplementary dishes? That's one thing. But the cooking method for uh, most of these wheat products, so all kinds of noodles, mm. all kinds of pies, all kinds of uh, pancakes. They're really, really good. And if you fry them and, you know, just sprinkle like little bits of uh, spring onion on them and stuff. And yeah, it's that process that makes the difference of it being a bit more fattier, in my opinion. Yeah. For example, this uh, very famous delicacy in in northwestern China called uh, hot oil noodle, right? Right. Uh, it's you po mian. Oh, yeah, so it's, good. Yeah, so good. I'm a big fan of it. But uh, you know, never after wa- eating wear it, a white T-shirt when you're eating <laughs> you po mian. <laughs> yeah, but really, after you eating it, after you enjoy this whole whole eating process, yeah. you kind of uh, begin to regret it. Oh, I have taken in so many, so much. <laughs> Such a large portion of a calorie, you know. <laughs> yeah, I'm so. a hardcore fan of rice because I I once tried the hot <laughs> oil noodles, but I have to admit that it's very hard for my stomach to digest oh. flour or wheat. I mean, <laughs> having a pie is fine, or having noodles is fine, but I won't have it for every meal. So also, I I do agree the cooking method matters because uh, one of my really favorite snack is the a uh, deep fried sweet potato fries. So sometimes it's very hard because when you bake it, the blood sugar will directly increase if you take it because it has been baked and caramelized. Oh, <laughs> thanks for ruining it for me, Huang Shen. <laughs> it sounds really delicious. And yeah, w- with the sweet potato fries and as well as the uh, po mian or mian, either way, oh, when I have these things, I tend to immediately have the uh, food baby, so to speak, and then have the brain fog. Uh, the brain fog, and that's not good. But the process is just enjoyable. That's it for today's roundtable. We'll see you next time.